to our true crime podcast, Don't Blame the Mum. I'm Hannah. I'm Kate. Oh, I've always realized we just switched our switched it around. Usually you always say it first. And now I'm like, Dan, no, I don't know what to do. That's freaked me out. <laughs> I thought we just told again. No, I'm kidding. So yes, welcome back to the second part of our two-parter on the Lisk Killer, aka the Gilgo Beach Killer as well, aka many, many other monikers too. Yeah, including Rex Himmerman. Oh yes, well, his exactly. actual name. His actual name, the alleged killer. You yes. have to say. Now, um, how have you been, Kate? I feel like I haven't seen you for ages. <laughs> no, we've actually recorded them back to back, so I only saw her about 10 seconds ago. We're good. So we do have some shout outs. So first and foremost, we have been featured in Women Who Podcast magazine. Yes, how exciting. So exciting. Mm-hmm. So we have... Actually, we've put it on our stories, but we haven't put it on our main feed, so we will do that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so you'll be able to find it on our main feed. Yeah. And the wonderful Kathy is the one who does Women Who Podcast magazine. Women Who Starcast podcast. And she does Women Who Starcast podcast. Yes. Yes. Mm. So she is the editor of Women Who Podcast magazine, and she is amazing. She's- we've been featured on the up and coming section of the Women Who Podcast magazine. So there is a few other podcasts in there, all new. I think all relatively new as in the last six months. Um, so it is in the July edition of Women Who Podcast magazine. And you can yeah. find her on Women Who Podcast um, magazine. Yes. On Instagram. God, yeah. I did well there. Yeah, she's great. She's going to be impressed with that, isn't she? We do also have some shout outs as well. I want to say a big shout out to Dina, who is like a fan of the podcast she says she's loving it um it's great and she's always there giving us really good feedback and everything um so i thought the feedback she gave us this week was hilarious (laughs) so some of you may or may not have noticed that we missed an edit in our last pod our last release but dina she noticed dina let us know so obviously neither me or hannah had listened (laughs) well no we didn't miss the edit what happened was is we lost the audio so we had to this use the audio from the camera that we recorded. Okay. Full disclosure then, you're yes. going right into I'm the whole thing. In. So we just basically, the sound was slightly different, which had a little bit more background noise, but she um, cleverly pointed that out. So I was like, thank you for that, Dina. But don't worry, because we are saving all of our audio. We're double saving it and we're not going to lose any more. So the only yes. thing that's going to get lost tonight is my mind probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> not for the first time. Not for the first time indeed. <laughs> So I think it's time we get started on the second part of our double parter. Sure. And I think let's just remind everybody that, of course, as always, huge trigger warnings for everything that we always talk about. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we we do try to warn you whenever we can, but obviously sometimes we're really thick and we forget. Yeah. So just do an umbrella trigger warning. It's a pretty horrific case. Um, (laughs) If you haven't listened to the first part, do go back an episode and listen to last week's episode, which was 23, to listen to the first part of this. So that it will all make sense um, and you'll know kind of what we're talking about. But we'll do a breakdown of what we covered last week. That's so. a very good point, Hannah. Well mm. done, actually. So we're talking... We're not about- doing a breakdown. Just go back and listen to the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do one. So we are talking about the Lisk killer who'd been known by many different names as well. And a guy called Rex Herman, who's 59, has also been arrested for this as of this month. So it's all happening as we speak in real time. And he has officially been charged with killing three 
of the victims, of the Gilgo Beach Four. And they are trying to build a case against the fourth Gilgo Beach victim as well. But there are also so many questions about who killed all the other victims that were found nearby. They were disposed, their bodies were disposed of in different ways. And the MOs kind of look very different between the killer of the Gilgo Beach Four and a potentially maybe there is another killer. So we're going to be discussing all about that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to start with just going through the suspects over the years. So some of these were, do you know what? There was actually only one other official suspect named by police. And his name was John Bitfoloff. I'm pretty sure that I've got that wrong. But it's B-I-T-T-F-O-L-F-F. So we're going with Bitfoloff. 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 Oh, I like that. It is Bitfoloff. Do you know a bit full? Well, no, but I'm reading off your notes and that's how it's spelled, isn't it? All right, we'll go a bit full. Bit full. John Bitful. John Bitful. Edit. <laughs> okay. So, well, Harry. So, Harry, where are you? So, oh. Bitful was convicted of killing two sex workers in the early 1990s. He was caught using familiar DNA test results of the murders of Risha Tangredi and Colleen McName in 2013. He was convicted of the murders, receiving 50 years in 2017. So the bodies of Jessica Taylor and Valerie Mack, which Hannah spoke to us about on last week's episode, episode 23, were recovered in Manorville, less than three miles away from where Bitvolf... Bitvolf. Bitvolf. Bitvolf, who was a carpenter by trade, lived. It was revealed that Melissa, and now I can't say anyone's name. It was revealed that Melissa Bartholomew, the third victim of the Gilgo Four, was best friends with the daughter of Bitfolf's victim, Rita Tangredi. It also came to light that Melissa had received numerous calls from the Manorville area just before her death. Bitfolf lived in the Manorville area at the time. So I've also just realized part of the reason why I'm struggling to say this is because I'm spelling it differently every bloody time. What? Oh, I mean, (laughs) idiot. Okay. So other suspects that were put forward by media and armchair detectives were, for example, Joseph Brewer. Now, Shannon Gilbert had been in the house of Joseph Brewer on the night she disappeared. He was her last known client. It was this house that she ran from when she ran to Gus Coletti's home. In the 911 call, you can hear Brewer in the background at times asking her to leave. So Michael Pack, the driver, is also in the house at this time. So he is trying to convince Shannon to leave too. Brewer can be heard saying things like, I'm going to bed, you should leave. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not clear from the phone call to police what had happened previously to this call for her to feel so afraid that she needed to call the police. Yeah, it was out of context. Yeah, it's all out of context. Mm. But after leaving the Brewer's home and running the few doors down to Coletti who himself calls the police, Shannon then runs to another house, and this is the home of Barbara Brennan. So Barbara, you might remember, was the woman who was scared for herself and her elderly mother mm-hmm. and refused to answer the front door. But she too calls 911 and asks for assistance. And this is when the doctor, Dr. Charles Peter Hackett, comes into play. So he was a self-proclaimed emergency services doctor to the Suffolk County Police. Now, I don't think from anything that I could find that this was any kind of official title. It just seems to be something that he coined himself after working with so many officers over the years. Um, 
So Dr. Hockett lived in Oak Beach at the time of the murders. Now, he allegedly saw or spoke to Shannon the night she went missing. Or saw and spoke to Shannon the night she went missing. The Gilbert family actually ended up filing a wrongful death suit against him in 2012. They filed this suit after strange phone calls that he made to Shannon's mother, Mary, on the 3rd of May, two days after Shannon's disappearance. So before Mary Gilbert, the mother of Shannon Gilbert, had even realised her daughter was missing, she received a phone call from Dr. Peter Hackett. He called to see if Shannon was with her and if she was okay. He tells Mari that he ran a home for wayward girls. Whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. Wayward girls. Could you, uh, could you stop? Honestly. Wayward girls. He had met her two nights. So he says, or he claims, that he had met Shannon two nights before. He claimed that she was in distress and that he'd given her medicine in order to calm her down. And he's now worried about her and wanted to check up on her. But the story he was telling about running a home for wayward girls was actually a lie. He never ran any kind of center or any kind of facility for women in need or right. women who were whatever, it needed, wayward. It, it needed help in some way or another or maybe yeah. guidance or something. So that was all a lie. Right. But was the rest of it a lie? Did he meet Shannon that night? Hmm. So the Gilbert family using their attorney, John Ray, and if you haven't seen John Ray on the TV by this stage. Oh. He must be living under a rock. Oh, 100%. I feel like I'm best friends with him now. <laughs> like, I've seen him so much. I feel like I know his whole life story. I feel like I feel like he couldn't have any more hats. No, he couldn't. <laughs> the only person who had more hats than him was my dad. I he wonder, I wonder. Hat selection. You'd give him a run for his money, he that's was. for sure. So the Gilbert family, using their attorney, John Ray, file a wrongful death suit based on the call that Dr. Hackett made to Mari. So based on the fact that he allegedly told Maury that he had given Shannon narcotics to calm her down, her attorney, John Ray, claims that if this is the case, then he has facilitated in her death. And I thought that was actually an interesting point. Well, yeah. So when Maury Gilbert told the police about the phone call, and this became public knowledge, Dr. Hackett then lies, and he says he never rang Maury. With regards to Shannon, he said, quote, that he never saw her, met her, or treated her. Phone records were able to prove that he had, in fact, rang Mari on the night that she had claimed. Oh, my God. How did he not realize that that would be tracked? Like, it's all so stupid. Seriously. So he rang her from her, his wife's phone, I think. Mm. Wow. Um, so this story, so then his story, of course, changes again. Reminds me of Peter Madsen, this fella. Changing yeah. his story, ever like the ever-changing bloody story. Absolutely. Um, so now he claims that he did call Mari, but that he never met Shannon, never took her in or gave her any kind of treatment. Um, so the police say that they believe that Dr. Hackett is just a busybody who kind of likes the center of attention. Yeah. They said that he has a history of this type of behavior, but he's actually harmless. Well, people do wonder, how did he get Mari's phone number? And how, was also, how is he a doctor? With this kind of behavior. I don't know, but like he's a right old pain. And how, yeah, and how did he get Mari's number as well? And there's a really crazy fact about Mari, I'm sure if you've written it down, about Mari Gilbert. Go on. So Mari Gilbert, who is the mother of Shannon, Shannon Gilbert, who was very, like I said, proactive. Um, I mentioned this a lot in last week's episode. She's very proactive in getting 
you know, law enforcement to continually search for her daughter, her missing daughter, Shannon, mm. who they kind of put down as, oh, she's just a sex worker, whatever. And it's like, no, this is my daughter. I love her. She's a person, you know, and deserves to be remembered, you know, thought of that way. Um, her, da- her other daughter has had actually has actually murdered Mari. She stabbed her 27 times. And oh my God, yeah. I totally forgot that. Yeah. And I haven't written it down. Yeah, I mean, um, to be honest, I didn't either. But I mean, it just, as you were talking about it, I was like, this is probably an important thing to say that Mari, unfortunately, was killed by her other daughter. who. Um, so I think there's a history of bipolar in the family. Yeah, they, I think she had some, some like, it could have been schizophrenia. I'm not sure. B- don't border personality or, yeah. disorder, something like that. And, and I think there was even um, interviews with with her other daughter. Is it Cherie? I think, yeah, it is Cherie. Who, um, I, and I'm sure Cherie had gone on camera talking about Shannon and, yeah. Um, yeah, when Shannon has. was missing and everything and when Shannon was found murdered. And now Cherie is in prison and her, her mom's dead, which is really... Just, oh my God, that's Family just got so much tragedy around them. I, it's just so, so sad. Well, I mean, I suppose when you're already struggling with mental health issues and then something mm. like so traumatic it happens, send you over the it edge, could just send you, you over the edge. Yeah. Yeah, you just don't know. Mm. Um, so Mari says or said that later when her daughter Shannon's remains were found the police actually brought her to Dr Peter Hackett's house walked her up through his house onto his back back balcony to point out to her where her daughter had been found what isn't that one of the, the most insane things that is you've insane. ever heard insane that so, is so weird this fella who has been ringing her so she kind of thinks he could really have something to do with it. Yeah. The police then bring her to his house and put her onto his balcony to point out where they found her daughter's mm, remains. That's just not, it just doesn't feel, you're almost, doesn't feel right at all. But you're almost but reinforcing what, what she would be thinking. Yeah, of course. Well, am I here because he's the murderer? That's very, very odd. Isn't that so strange? Mm, questionable behavior on the police very i have to say sorry guys so dr hackett refused to speak to the press about the incident but when journalists some of whom by the incident by the me by the way i meant i mean the phone call um but when journalists some of whom i think were from quite much daily waiting were waiting to talk to him in a car park he faked a heart attack or what he called a defibrillation issue I don't actually know what he meant by that, but it was all a bit embarrassing and it was caught live on camera. We had dramatically fallen onto his hands and knees when the journalists and TV crews were trying to get him to speak about Shannon Gilbert's death. I can't even with him. I know. Listen, the Oscars pending. It was like the most dreadful acting you've ever seen. It'd be like a kangaroo court. uh, Hollyoaks style. Yeah. Um, So he currently lives in Fort Myers, Florida after fleeing Long Island to get away from the scrutiny of the press and the armchair detectives. The wrongful death lawsuit was dismissed in 2018. Now, I wonder if it was dismissed after she she passed away. It might have uh, been. Maybe. Well, yeah, I suppose, because who else would be pushing for that? Yeah. So Dr. Harkis was also said to have been, like, he was just, as they said, like a real busybody. Mm. You know, he kind of saw himself as the, um, as the Oak Beach kind of, almost like the little mayor of Oak Beach. Like, Spokesman. Yeah, and like he was kind of involved with everything, you know. He's I bet, so annoying. Yeah, I bet he was on, you know, He's Neighborhood Watch and all that stuff, oh, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. He like, you know, like Neighborhood Watch, you know, the Neighborhood app, do you have that? 
next door yeah next door now i love that you know I, i'm such 100%, a 100 same so like, nosy. oh my god guys a cat's gone a cat's gone missing okay or like oh no oh, i'm always reading bike, the, look out for red bike guys or i'm always reading the ones where people get really cross and angry with each other i find yeah. them really funny oh i love that or yeah. it's like this person didn't pick up this like little box and i'm like oh my god this is great yeah to the fella who three hours who dropped that when, you know like, who dropped all... their beanie hat yeah and then didn't bother to come and retrieve it i'm like this is just great guys love just it. mad stuff i need to get a life don't i no, I mean, I'm I'm the same. I'm always reading stuff out to my partner, Sean, being like, listen to this one. Um, anyway, so he, the, he, well, yeah, so he would kind of saw himself as some guy, kind of like the, the head of or the mayor or mm. the kind of top of the tops anyway. Um, and according to uh, the Shannon Gilbert's family's lawyer, that John Ray, I think that there's some allegations of him maybe deleting CCTV footage mm. of the entrance into into Gilga into sorry Oak Beach on the night of Shannon's run through the streets, oh, wow. which obviously would have been really important footage. So well, yeah, because that's like just kind of destroying evidence. No, that's, because anything of her running away or anything like that is would have been so important really important now that's really really alleged so as i said to hannah you know the way you've been listening to some of this stuff over the years for so many years that i actually remember that from before but i couldn't find it anywhere when i was looking it up this time so mm. that's from the mind of kate and potentially not true <laughs> <laughs> so i could be lying <laughs> so take it as fact and let's move on <laughs> Um, so on the Gilgo News website, which is manned by the Suffolk County Police, there is actually footage which shows the brush and the reeds that Shannon went through the night that she disappeared. So these these reeds and um, brush can grow up to 12 feet tall and become so dense that they're impenetrable and impenetrable in some places. There's a trench that runs through the brush and investigators think that Shannon used this to make her way through the brush as they found her belongings kind of along this mm. route. Now, investigators believe that her death it was an unfortunate accident and maybe not a murder, but we did discuss that in a little bit more yeah. detail in mm. last week's episode. I think the only other thing that I had read was, I know that you spoke about the removal of the trousers. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I am aware of is that if somebody has hypothermia, they, they feel do, um, they think they're really, really hot, hot when they're actually cold. And they cold. can remove their clothes. Yeah, that's hyperthermia, so that, isn't it? Yeah, it's hypo and hyper. Yeah, but it's true. It's like when they like people who get lost on, say, Everest, or you know, yes. um, stranded on Everest. Quite often, and, they'll be found naked. Yeah, and just because they they believe that they're boiling, boiling hot up. when they're mm. freezing. And so they strip their clothes off. So that could be one possibility of maybe why she took them off, mm -hmm. if that was the case. But as we said, it's so hard to know with Shannon. Mm. Um, she did suffer a bipolar. Was she having? Did she was she having an episode? An episode perhaps? was that why she thought someone was chasing her? Was somebody chasing her? I mean, it's this pretty dangerous around so there, questions. so there easily could have been oh, somebody chasing easily. her. Easily, I mean, that that area is clearly rife yeah. with with danger. And, Do you know that apparently? Killers. At that there's only something like 600 people who were living there at the time. Like this is a tiny little neighborhood, yeah, a gated community. Wow. And I think there's only 200 people that live there now. I heard that in some Probably podcasts. 400 were like, fuck this, I'm getting out of here because I am not going to be there. Wouldn't expecting. you be the first packing up yeah. your bags? Like, see you guys, I'm going down to, I don't know, what's, what's the state near New York? I don't know. 
I'd go to LA. Bye. Come to Pennsylvania. Is okay, that sure. Area? Washington. Why not? See you later, guys. Bye. I'm out. <laughs> Vermont. <laughs> sure. Aspen. <laughs> just wherever you fancy, guys. <laughs> um. So what was I talking about there? So um, her belongings. Right. And- so I think, yeah, I think I'm kind of done with that. Let's move on. So there is one more armchair detective suspect, and this one is quite the scandal. So this suspect came to light when a man named Christopher Loeb. <gasps> this is crazy. Yes, was arrested, tortured, and imprisoned by Suffolk County Chief of Police. So Chris Loeb was a local 25-year-old Long Island man at the time. He was struggling, he was a struggling drug addict who at times burgled to fund this habit. Now he had heard rumors that there was a dirty cop in the local area, and he had assumed that this dirty cop would have access to drugs or maybe money. And he could take these drugs or take that money to buy drugs. Mm. Um, so he figured out just from, I don't know how, he, he figured out the car of this dirty cop, broke into the car and stole a duffel bag that was inside. Now, what he found inside was neither drugs nor money. He found that the bag was filled with a multitude of things, including sex toys, a gun belt, ammunition, cigars, handcuffs, and pornographic DVDs. Now, while most of the DVDs had names of the porn movies on the DVD and the case, one of the DVDs was blank. So it looked like it could have been like a homemade recording Mm. or maybe it hadn't even been recorded onto yet. But Chris put that blank DVD into his player at home. Now, he claims that what he witnessed on that DVD was a snuff movie. Wow. So, what he really saw then was the murder of an unsuspecting female. Horrific what stuff. The hell, and yes. this is the head of police. So I no. Mean, how? So, as you can imagine, it was not long until the police were knocking on his front door and raided his home. So, but unusually, it was not just your regular beat officers, but the chief of police at the time, James Burke. He was also in tow. So now, obviously, this is highly unusual for the chief of police to come out and arrest like this. But he was invested. This is personal. As that duffel bag that had been stolen was actually his duffel bag. Oh, my my God. God, that's terrifying. It's so terrifying. Someone who's in, you know, such a high position of power Mm. was that corrupt and dirty and, you know, just... I mean, God knows. It's so crazy. That's really scary. So police arrest Chris and they take him down to the station where he alleges that they tortured and beat him. He says that Burke even came in and told the other officers to leave in order to beat him repeatedly, slapping him and punching him in the face. Whenever Christopher asked for a lawyer, he was choked and kicked by Burke. The duffel bag and its contents were never entered into evidence and the DVD has never been found. So this and is... I don't think it ever will. Yeah, shocking. Um, so Burke, however, was being investigated already himself at that time. And he was being investigated by the FBI. So he was leading the force through what was described as a culture of corruption. They had numerous complaints about him, including the cover-ups of soliciting sex workers and the assault of Chris Loeb. So it came to light that James Burke was well known to sex workers in Long Island, and he was a regular patron of their services. 
he was not even afraid to do this when he was meant to be on duty. So even once when having sex with a sex worker in his marked police vehicle, and obviously this is before he became chief, uh, chief of police. Um, so not only this, but he was also known to attend sex parties in none other than Oak Beach, the gated community. Wow. I know. So it's believed that he even knew Joseph Brewer, who was Shannon Gilbert's last client on the when night she, she disappeared. From Joseph Brewer's house. Yes. Um, so it's also said that he would go to the sex parties ran by um, Joseph Brewer and also sex parties ran by local influential people in the area, like, for example, politicians. Oh, no, so, I know oh, this fella was just, he was just, uh, shit. yeah, just not the kind of not person you would person want. Not the person you want running to head of police. No. Or any powerful position. So a little history of James Burke. He was known to have influential people in his back pocket all the way through his career, in, like including the district attorney, Thomas Spotta, mm. who was a childhood acquaintance. So this friendship began after Burke testified in court that Spotta was a, pros- sorry, in, in a court case that Spotta was a prosecutor for when he was only 13 years of age. So the case was the murder of a teenage boy in the Long Island area. He had been beaten badly and forced to eat rocks and that he had asphyxiated on. Um, so Burke testified that another local boy had confessed to be the murderer. Now, although it late, this, uh, this local boy actually ended up um, impl- implicating? Implicating. Implicating, uh, like, I think his brother and two other friends and everything into okay. this. Yeah, it was awful. But obviously none of it was actually factual. Right. So now, although later it came to light that this boy and the boys who were charged alongside him were not guilty and that potentially Burke's um, evidence was fabricated, um, from then on, the, but from then on, he, he had Spota in his corner as a high-swinging friend who could introduce him to people he needed to know and get him out of any tight spots he got himself into, which he did a lot. Like, for example, when he was caught in his mm. police uniform, sleeping with that sex worker in his police car. Yeah. Spota was the man who got him out of that. So wow. he had Spota in his back pocket the whole way, and Spota was very influential in getting him that position of chief of police. So once he worked his way up the law enforcement chain, in 2011, he was made chief of police. All of this with the help and support of Spota. Once he had made chief of police, he made lots of changes in the department. So effectively managing out anyone that he did not want close to him working in the department and making it so that he was surrounded by people that he trusted. So he was also the one who blocked the FBI from helping out on the Long Island serial killer case. Now, probably trying to keep the FBI out of his kind of dodgy dealings. Absolutely. You don't want to light shone on any Any of the dodgy stuff. Any of that dodgy stuff he was getting up to. No. So James Burke retired from the force in October 2015 after serving 30 years as a police officer or in law enforcement. Mm. It is thought that he hoped that all charges would have been dropped if he quietly stepped away. And now by these charges, I mean the charges of the beating and torture of Christopher Loeb. He was wrong and the FBI arrested him in December 2015. At the time... Just before he retired, James Burke was on a salary of over £220,000 a year. What? Stur- uh, not pounds. Uh, dollars. US dollars, yeah. 
So in February 2016, former Chief of Police James Burke pled guilty to federal charges that he assaulted Christopher Loeb and that and then organized and coerced other officers in a cover-up. He made a plea deal and was given 46 months in prison. He was released after 33. Right. Thomas Bota, who was a district attorney who also was also charged with assisting in the cover-up of James Burke's crimes. He was charged with conspiracy, obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and depriving a suspect's civil rights. He was found guilty in December in 2019. Christopher Loeb won a $1.5 million settlement against uh-huh. the Suffolk County Police after the ordeal he faced with the former chief of police, James Burke. Now, I'm going to tell you some of the evidence that's been found in interviews of public over the years and more recently building up to the arrest of, Re- to the arrest of Rex Humerman. So there was a belt that Hannah mentioned in episode 23 that was found. So in December of 2020, Suffolk County Police released evidence never seen by the public in the form of a brown and black leather belt with the lettering embossed inside towards the end of it. Now, the letters would say either HM or WH, depending on which way you read it. It is revealed that the investigators found this belt at one of the murder scenes in 2010 and that they believed that the belt was handled by the murderer and did not belong to one of the victims. So we don't really know what relevance Mm. this has yet. So, But if it's um, WH, if you look at it from that perspective... It could be something human. It could be human. Mm. If it's HM, and you look at it from that perspective, it could be mine. (laughs) 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 But it's not, I swear. (laughs) I'm not guilty. <laughs> not guilty. <laughs> but I mean, it it would make sense if this this belt was found um, with the bodies of one of the Gilgo Beach four. We do know mm. that Rex Herman is being charged, and they have a re- pretty solid case against him. They're building, yeah. which means that it would make sense that it's that the it's WH. something H. Whether it, could, it could be, be a, like a, a brother or brother wife. Well, actually, the wife's name no, is not W, but it could be like a anything, a like child that. belt, yeah. anything. Yeah, we don't know, mm. but I'm sure we are going to find out more than that and more about that in the upcoming weeks, mm. and see if actually his DNA is on that belt. Yeah, and fingerprints or whatever well, it is. Yeah, if it would be still, I suppose this this far, but we'll see. Watch yeah. this space. Watch this space. So, new Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney Harrison set up a new special task force in February 2022. This task force would reemploy numerous task forces for a multi- from a multitude of agencies, including the New York State Police the Suffolk County Police Department, the Suffolk County Sheriff's Office, and the FBI, Love who it. had been, been removed by, as we said, of course, former Chief, Chief of, of Police, Police, James Burke. So they're back on the case. So within weeks, on the 14th of March, the name Rex Hummerman had been put forward as a potential suspect in the murders of the Gilgo Four. A surveillance team was set up who were tasked with following him and his family, so he has numerous properties, but his family home in Massapeka Park, which is about 15 miles from Gilgo Beach, was one of the places put mm. under surveillance. So the suspect matched the description, which had been made by a witness. He'd been described as an ogre type by this witness, who also said that he was very tall and big, but not necessarily muscular, mm. which 
really does describe him to a T because he's actually he's a kind big of, old hulk of a man, isn't he? Yeah, he's a mountain of a man, but he's like a big old sack of oh shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a big, doughy, lumbersome yeah. brute he, of a guy. He's kind of like overweight around middle the middle. Heavy. Yeah, but yeah. not like necessarily. Like he's just, you can just see he's just a big. A, he's, he's, a, he's a hulk of a guy. He's just a built big yeah. regardless. And he's about 6'6 six, six or something. Yeah, some reports say 6'4 and some, some say 6'6. Six, 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 six. And he's about 250 pounds. So he is I'm going to say he's 6'5. There you go. You know, let's just go. <laughs> Another fact from Kate. Um, so burner phones connected to Hummerman were disposed of, and communication to the victims' phones from these burner phones stopped immediately, completely, every time one of the girls disappeared. These phone records show that he stopped contacting them from the moment the girls disappeared and onwards. Police believe he had these phones with him at the murder scenes and have records of his credit cards been used in the same general areas as all of these burner phones, which helped in tying these phones to him. Mm-hmm. There was evidence on his computer search history that had been keeping track of the investigation. He had also been keeping an eye on family members of the victims, which we kind of know yeah. from what we've heard of when he's been contacting family. He's been calling, saying, I'm calling friends. Rot. I've, mm. I've, you know, I've raped them, I've killed them. Exactly. You know, these saying, kind of things. Saying these horrible things. So he was actually tracking a lot of the family and extended family's movements. Terrifying. On, I know, on their social media, searching photos of the victims and their family members regularly. He even, as I said, he's even contacted some of the family members. And he even contacted some using false aliases via email and social media. So investigators followed Humerman in order to get a DNA sample. In January 2023, so just six months ago, they watched him throw away a pizza slice, which they were, which they then recovered and were able to use it to match his DNA to one of the crime scenes. A male hair had been found tangled in the burlap used to camouflage one of the bodies. The analysis from the DNA in the pizza to the male hair was a match for Hummerman. Not only this, but DNA from Hummerman's wife of 25 years, Asa Ellerup, had also been discovered on the murder scenes. Three samples of his wife's hair were found on the other victims, believed to have been caught up in the duct tape used to wrap them in the burlap. So apparently duct tape is a terrible idea. Who knew that? Oh, well, you know. I mean, there I feel you go, like guys. every serial killer uses Loose duct flash. tape. Yeah, exactly. I literally listened to a report today where... Zip uh, ties is another popular one. <laughs> anything less, else, Hannah? Less likely to get DNA stuck to it. Not that I'm giving anyone tips on how to well, That's exactly what you're doing. Well, I'm, tips sure, from, I'm sure they all listen to our podcast. Facts from Cation. Tips from Hannah. So investigators matched her DNA to a bottle found in the garbage at Humerman's property. Although Mrs. Humerman's phone records indicate that she was away on holidays at the time of the murders, the girls all went missing. From what I can see, most of them went missing during summer months, so when the schools are out. So I wondered if maybe she was away... I'm being an armchair detective here. Mm-hmm. More facts from Kate. I wondered if maybe she was away with the children on summer holidays, like visiting relatives or something, and he was kind of staying at home under the pretense of having to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perhaps. There you go. Look at me, giving out the tips now. Armchair sleuth over here. Yeah. So a big emphasis was put on a Chevrolet. So eyewitnesses saw a green Chevrolet Avalanche, first generation truck, which is apparently quite rare. And this piece of information was used 
um, to whittle down potential suspects as the car is apparently very distinguishable. So the motto here is don't buy distinguishable cars. Yeah. Okay, guys, we're not giving any more tips on how to kill, okay? You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, you know what? Just don't do it. Don't do it at all. So the car was spotted in Costello's driveway in the months before her murder, proving to be key evidence when linking this to his burner phone records. The same green Chevrolet is also seen on Google Earth images outside Hummerman's Long Island family home. Hummerman later sold this car to his younger brother, Craig. The car was found on a property that Hummerman owns with his younger brother, Craig, in South Carolina. So this is one of numerous properties that he owns across the U.S., but because this particular property is close to the case of missing teenager Aaliyah Bell, who has been missing since 2004, local police say that her case is now under review. Now, Aaliyah was 18 years old when she disappeared on the 25th of November 2014. Aaliyah had been doing her younger sister's hair before she left her uncle's house. Witnesses heard a scream and saw a dark truck nearby, potentially like Huma and Chevy. Yeah. Aaliyah's disappearance happened in Rock Hill, Chester, 20 miles from Hummerman's brothers, whom, the Hummerman brothers, that's hard to say, 18-acre property. So my understanding is that this is an underdeveloped property. Mm. So from a photo that I saw on the Daily Mail online, it looked like it's covered densely with trees, trees. and shrubbery. Mm. Um, it's also rumored that the brothers are planning to build a compound on this property. And locals have told reporters that the brother Craig is also a bit of a wacko. So they claim he's like trying to build up the compound like a fortress that they can hear gunshots coming from the property even in the middle of the night. I mean, what is it with all these bloody compounds? No, it's mad. Wasn't it, it your man Colop that had a ter- huge yeah, compound? Like 95 acres. Lots of land, lots of trees. And that was in South Carolina. Guns. That was in South Carolina too. It was South Carolina, yeah. South, it was. It was South Carolina. <laughs> it was South Carolina, yeah. So, anyway, police and FBI are investigating this property to see if they find any bodies buried on the plot of land. Interestingly, there are reports of signs on the property that read no warrant, no entry. Mm, again, like very much like Todd Collett. Mm. Interesting. So Vegas police are reportedly also looking into some of their cold cases as reported, as it was reported that Humerman owns a timeshare in a luxury condo just a few minutes from the famous Las Vegas Strip. Yeah. So I do also have quite a bit on the evidence and stuff as well. So Yours forgive is a me bit more if I'm a little current. bit more repeato, but um, I may, yeah, well, I'm going to go into as much as I can, the detail and stuff, because it's all very important, to be honest. I'd rather have more than less detail. Yeah. So after they managed to link the Chevy Avalanche to Rex Heumann, and they knew that he owned that car at the time of Amber Castello's disappearance, it went from one connection to the next. After surveilling him for a year... The task force were becoming increasingly concerned as Rex's wife, Asa, was planning another trip away. Oh, they is that noticed, what it was? Yeah, and they noticed that the, his pattern, the killer's pattern was to kill whilst he was home alone and whilst his wife, incidentally, was traveling. So they knew there was a high chance that he would strike again and soon. They'd also received worrying calls about him approaching young girls in local parks from behind and making them feel unsafe and uncomfortable enough to call the police and report it. Now, this is girls who didn't have a clue that this guy was was connected to, you know, and a a very strong suspect in the Gilgo Beach murders, in the list killers. But they they were scared enough to literally call in police and say, this man is, you know, is very, very strange. He's huge. 
He's absolutely, imagine that guy, he's like, what, six foot, we decided five. Six foot five. Six foot five and comes up to you in a park when you're on your own and starts trying to talk to you or whatever. You but, would feel so but, scared. And also trying to startle you. Yeah. Like from behind, from behind so you don't when, see him when coming. It's like a very vulnerable sort of, you mm. know, place, isn't it? So, um, so they knew there was a high chance that he could strike again and soon. Um, now, before he had the chance to hurt anyone else, it was time to finally arrest the Lisk, the Long Island serial killer, and bring him into custody once and for all. So on that day, on July 13th, 2023, just a couple of weeks ago, the task force, all of these normal looking guys mm. wearing their suits, walked past Human on the street outside his work. They surround him, they cuff him, and they bring him in. It's all captured on CCTV. It's so good. It's amazing. Mm. I've watched this so many. I literally get chills when I watch it because I'm like, I'm so happy they finally get him. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. So go online and watch him being arrested with all these people walking past, none the wiser. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Of who's in their midst. Yeah. Midst. In their midst. Midst. And it's all captured on, like I said, CCTV. And you can see this tall, ogreish brute just towering above all of these officers who were arresting him. That's how. That's how you know how tall he is. Because exactly. so he's can't stress enough how intimidating compa- of a yeah. character he would have been to small, you know, young, slight girls or victims. Yeah, absolutely. So some background on this alleged newly uncovered serial killer. He worked as an architect and was born to parents Theodore and Dolores Heumann in 1964. He has a younger brother, Craig, um, who you talked about, has mm-hmm. a property with. Um, according to its website, Heumann is the owner and founder of the Midtown architectural firm, RH Consultants and Associates. He was aged 59 when arrested, and it's been thought he's lived in New York his whole life. They've already got a very strong case against him that they'd been building up over the year. So clearly, though, they wanted it to be concrete before they brought him in to make sure that when charges for murder were filed, it's a rock solid case as much as it can be because nothing's rock solid. Um, For example, you know, his house in Mesopique Park, like you said, is only 25 minutes away from where the bodies were discovered on Gilgo Beach. Mm. So it's super close. And as we know, most killers like to operate in areas that they feel comfortable in and are familiar with, Mm. where they kind of know um, all the little nooks and crannies um, and the best places, the quietest places to take, say, a body. So obviously images on Google Maps showed that Chevy that was parked outside in his driveway back in the day. Um, and before he'd obviously realized it was a bit hot to keep it there. So that's probably why he sold it onto his brother. And it's now in the property in South Carolina where it's now been seized. Um, so checking the details of, of the owner of that Chevy is what allowed them to look into his phone records to see where his phone had pinged on the night the victims disappeared, as you said. And this showed them that at times near the victims last known locations pinging it was pinging off the same cell towers as theirs as was his normal phone as was some of his burner phones which i'm going to get into as well so So crazy they traced several burner phones that he purchased seven in total that they know of that's a lot of how are they how are they finding which like that like it must have taken hours i mean that's why they had such a specialist elite task force because they needed those man hours to be spent to go through it like so thoroughly painstaking it's incredible Mm. 
Um, so a burner phone means a phone which is bought for temporary or anonymous use before being discarded. So kind of like what drug dealers have. Yeah. I wrote that down myself. I was like, not that I know, but I mean, I know that's something that is apparently commonly used. So they can have yeah. ones that they, you know, will use for a little bit and throw away and no one can trace them. Yeah. It's one that you'd buy in a shop and you wouldn't necessarily have to put your details on. Yeah. So he'd also purchase a burner phone used to contact the victims before they disappeared. Um, and then their families after the victims had disappeared, where he would make those crank phone calls to the victims' families. Um, and, you know, this killer, like you said, he would only call the victims' families just to taunt them and torture them and mm. say he's, you know, watching them, keeping track of them. Terrifying. All of that awful stuff. Now, interestingly, John Ray, the attorney of the Gilgo Four victims' families you'd mentioned, also received calls up until March of that I year. Heard. So this caller had ordered pizza to his home, which is isolated and surrounded by trees. How scary is that? Mm. He said there was a woman, too, who'd actually ordered pizzas because he'd called the Domino's they'd come from to see if he could get information. The Domino's, Jesus, they weren't scrimping, were they? No, I love Domino's. My stomach's it's expensive though. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> the caller had said, I hope you're enjoying your dinner. And he knew that they were having dinner at that time. So it seemed like that he that he was watching them. I think what happened was in the doorbell ring and the pizza arrived. And then he said, yeah. And then he said, I enjoy your pizzas. Yeah. Wonder if it was Rex or if it was another killer or maybe it's just someone who enjoys inserting themselves into cases, yeah, which does so hard to know. seem to happen. Yeah. Now get this as well. Um, he'd use these burner phones to start accounts on Tinder with his own photographs posted on the Tinder profiles. I mean, you couldn't make it up. He's literally using these burner phones, but posting himself on sites that will be linked back to them. Also, his credit card was used on these sites and linked back to the Tinder account, which was then linked back to the right. burner phone numbers, Amazing. which was then linked back to being near the victims okay. as well. So all of this is super, super intelligent. Like, I mean, it's amazing they can use this technology. It's so cool. You know, I love the cell phone tower pinging things. So um, from all these, you know, yeah, that's a technical, that technical term. term yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so he's clearly getting a kick and sexual satisfaction satisfaction from listening to all of these voicemails as well of the victims because he's been using the victims phones which were pinging next to his burner phones to listen to the voicemails that their families this their worried so families sick. had sent them it's just awful and all of these phones were being used either his place outside his place of work um in manhattan which is his office or near his home in Massapequa Park. So everything is just coming back to him time and time again and all the places that he frequented and all at the same times that he was there. Police also had the video footage of him purchasing the burner phones from phone shops using cash only. Obviously, so then they can't trace him so easily. Or so he thinks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously with different phones, he'd build up a rapport with the victims over several days or weeks um, using those phones entirely for that purpose. And then, like you said, just discarding them. This man is unbelievably sick and just evil, you know, using all these different phones to taunt those families like that. Um, he also started numerous fake online accounts and aliases and emails with fake names he'd set up, which he'd also used his phone his burner phones were. The police must have been like... Having a field day. Uh, literally, when they're watching all of this and figuring it all out, they must have been like, Mad. this is a gold mine. Absolutely. So one name he used, one alias he used out of many, one was Andy um, or Andrew Roberts. Um, his actual his middle name is actually Andrew. 
Um, once he had been arrested, they immediately swarmed his house in Massapequa Park, searching it from top to bottom. It's still happening as we speak at this moment whilst we're recording this as well. So far during the search, police have found a huge arsenal of weapons that he's been concealing. They were found in a 12 by 14 foot room underneath the house that apparently contained a vault that's hidden in the wall. He had over 200 guns hidden inside there. So an illegal amount of firearms. I read that he had 279 guns. I mean, it's crazy. And it'll probably go up even more. Who knows? Well, yeah, where they find more, you're right. It has since come out that a few years back, he wouldn't let a female interior designer in this underground room to measure the room. And according to her, he was being really shady about it, which she found odd. And it really made her remember it. And it was the only room that he said was off limits to her. So that out of bounds underground room seems I mean, like the perfect I'm sorry. place. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, "Okay, see ya, bye." Yeah, hundred percent. Get me out of here I immediately. one hundred percent. Especially with all of like overpower- overly paranoid brains. <laughs> but um, but that out of bounds underground room seems like the perfect place for a killer to take the victims and do whatever evil thing they wanted to with them for as long as they wanted to, and nobody above ground would ever know a thing. Such a terrifying thought. And the absolute terror these poor girls went through is just unimaginable. So Human was living in this house with his second wife, Asa. Do you think they're looking for a DNA in that room? Oh, 100%. They'll be, be they're taking up everything. We'll post as much pictures and videos as we can on our Instagram, but they are taking it to pieces. I like I read somewhere today that they're bit. not looking for bo- that they have said they're not looking for bodies though. They don't expect. I, don't, I mean, but I'm sure they'd be looking for the DNA of the girls to prove that they were in that yeah. location. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it's likely that he did take the victims whilst he had the house to himself and could have kept them for God knows how long. Mm. You know, kept them alive for God knows how long. So he was living in this house with his second wife, Asa. Um, and his two adult children, his stepson and his biological daughter. His wife was believed to be traveling, like I said, at the time of the murders. And since his arrest, she has filed for divorce because she is a victim too in all of this. And are his children. You know, yeah, they had no family. idea that, well, she had no idea she's married to a serial killer. Um, and, you know, he, he posed as such a normal guy like they all do. Um, and this was his second marriage. He'd been married briefly before when he was much younger. Um, now, this house, I'm going to post a pic online, is the most dilapidated house on the entire street. It sticks out like a sore thumb because it's smaller, it's darker and just and sinister looking. Him, an architect. I know, you wouldn't think it. So it's apparently the same house he'd lived at during his childhood and is now worth around $600,000. And he'd inherited it from his father and apparently wanted it kept exactly how his father had left it. Oh, so red that flag. could be, oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> totally. So um, law enforcement have turned the whole place over, like I said, so it won't be left in any normal state um, after that. Also, when you see the pictures from above, you see how his little garden is just shrouded in darkness. Again, just by, surrounded by loads of trees, um, which it's almost like he wanted to keep prying eyes away. You mm. know, this, they want that darkness, that privacy of their property. Um, the police are also searching storage units that are linked to him and his other properties he has, um, South Carolina. What is it with and serial killers and storage units? 
warm so then they can basically keep all their different trophies and different things but they're locked away maybe phone. i know it's well they're not as clever <laughs> as they think they are um so they're searching that timeshare property he's got in nevada nevada yeah las vegas yeah and las vegas police department have released a statement in regards to the news of his arrest we're aware of rex herman's connections to las vegas we're currently reviewing our unsolved cases to see if he has any involvement so let's watch this space and hope that you know if there are any unsolved cases that we can find out if he was involved. Yeah. Um, his DNA has been released into a statewide database to see if he's connected to any other cold cases or crimes. Detectives are also using ground penetrating radar to search his backyards and have been digging and excavating the yard and literally digging huge, massive holes. They're, they're obviously like looking for something. There's obviously something else that they're yeah, worried about. Because I wondered if, initially I wondered, are they looking for bodies? I'm, I mean, I'm sure they're looking for anything and then potentially that as well. I'm sure nothing would surprise them at this point or me. Um, everything's related, or me, and that's really important. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really important to the case. <laughs> so everything's related to him is just being turned upside down at this point. Um, and they're going through it with a fine tooth comb, which is fantastic, you know, what we want. Um, and this is an absolutely huge case. And God knows how far across America his crimes could stretch. We know of killers going from state to state before to throw people off the scent. And when a certain killing area like Gilgo Beach, for example, becomes too hot for comfort and too, you know, people are watching it too closely, they then like to change their areas that they operate yeah, in to a potential compound yeah, in or South even Carolina. change the states like yeah. Israel Keys, yeah. Samuel Little, or oh my Bundy. god yep as i said that my stomach rumbled because i'm so <laughs> hungry um other evidence they've compiled against him over last year is from his google searches and honestly these are horrifying they go from searches involving child porn to him typing in quote girl begging for rape porn quote torture redhead porn and quote girl with face beat up and there is way, way worse than this. Um, I have posted these on our Facebook group and I will post them on the Instagram as well if, if I'm allowed to, I'm not sure. Don't wanna get, you know, barred. Um, also he searched for things like why couldn't law enforcement trace the Long Island serial killer's phone calls? Um, I'm FBI's, pretty sure you put them all on our story. Um, yeah, I did, but they wouldn't be there anymore. So no, I'll, no, I'll no. repost. FBI's active serial killers, he searched for that as well, and also for the names of the victims and their families over and over again, amongst many more. So very Terrifying. incriminating stuff. It's actually really scary. Yeah, and these Google searches were made over years. Yeah. And they were He's all made an at his Massapequa, exactly. And they were all made at his Massapequa Park, the home where he lived. More evidence against him, which is incriminating, was his wife's hair found on the bodies of three of the victims in, inside the burlap sacks. And um, police tested it against a discard soda can of hers which proved to be a match to his wife um which then links him back to it obviously his wife didn't have anything to do with it um she's also a victim in all of this but it would have been her hairs that he unknowingly had transferred from his clothes onto mm -hmm. the into the bodies of the victims his hair was found in the bottom of burlap sack as well um and it's proved conclusively his dna matched that hair going through his pizza crust that he discarded outside his trap outside his work in a trash can and most of us true crime fans know that um you know like soda cans or rubbish or anything that you've put outside in the trash um automatically becomes public property so police can legally take your trash and go through it with impunity if they wish once it's outside i believe they did this with the golden state killers yeah. um joseph james yeah. d'angelo's rubbish 
um, to get his DNA. Yeah, tissue, I think, yeah, for him. Yeah, to, to match his DNA um, to old crime scenes and, you know, found him using genetic genealogy. But that's a story for another day. Um, and, you know, the belt with his initials, you know, you've already gone over that, so I'm just repeating myself. No, you're all right. Go on, do it again. <laughs> now, I don't know how relevant <laughs> this is, but police have been seen removing an old-fashioned looking doll in a glass case removed I've from that house. creepy. Which is so creepy. Now, there were dolls found at the memorial post for the Gilgo Beach Four. So where there was little crosses in kind of like, you know, memorial areas yeah. made by their friends and family, that's left with like cards and things like that. There was also a doll left at each of these, you know, locations. And the doll was apparently called Time Out Dolls. It's kind of like a brand of dolls. You're giving me shivers. It's weird. And one doll had stuffing coming out of where her mouth should be. Like someone had slit the mouth part and then the stuffing was coming out. All very creepy. It could be nothing, but it's just a very weird coincidence that they're now taking it. Yeah, that the they're taking out. it. Yeah, it's just very sinister. So, Rex Herman is being charged with three counts of second degree murder and three counts of first degree murder. Murder? Murder. But regarding the deaths of Melissa Bartholomew, Amber Costello, and Megan Waterman. Charges are also expected to be brought against him for the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. And I think that's imminent, but they're just trying to make the case a bit stronger. So the task force are believed to be, you know, working on that one as we speak. Um, so she was the first of that group of girls to go missing and to be killed. So it may be that it's harder for police to obtain her cell phone records for that far back um, as it was to for maybe the girls who went missing after yeah. her. So we'll see. Watch this space. Now, I suppose we should talk a little bit about what type of killer he was because he has got some sim real similarities to you know, some other sadistic killers because he's a very sadistic killer. He's enjoying getting pleasure from other people's pain, talking to the families about what he's done to their loved ones, to the victims. Um, it's got very narcissistic tendencies in that respect by also Googling himself and Googling his crimes um, and kind of enjoying those things as well. Yeah. Oh, and can I just say one more thing? Speaking of narcissist, BTK... Good old Dennis Radar has waded into the conversation and he called the Lisk killer a clone of me. Oh. Massive eye roll. Get over yourself, Dennis. Yes, he said that he has basically, he's, he's com compared all of the ways that he's gone about his murders and, and his modus operandi and basically said that the Lisk killer is essentially copying him. I hate that guy. Dennis Rader is the biggest piece of shit in the world. Yeah, he is a horror. He's an absolute horror. Now, do we believe that there are two killers? See, that's the so, really big question. This, I Where did I see this now? I think I saw this on that um, documentary called, I think it's called Kill, The Killing Time or something like that. Mm. Um, so, there's a German fella on that who says that there's two very specific MOs and they're very different. Mm. And he calls one the trophy killer and the other the torso killer theory. Yeah. So the way the bodies are disposed of, one is very calculated, precise, whereas the other seems kind of hectic, out of control, Disorganized. haphazard, mm. you know, throwing some remains here, others there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm I mean, torn. I mean, for me, I mean, I'm. We it actually, seems like it. Yeah, we actually know. We speak to someone who's quite closely involved yeah. in the Lisk case and has been, you know, from you know for a good for a few long time, years now. Yeah. And they have like inside info, and they know way more than I think the public does, and we do. But they do believe that there are 
more than one. There is more than one killer. I think the way the MOs are just the modus operandi, they're, they're Hannah. very different. They're modus operandi. It is very, very different, different, you know, like neatly sort of like bound up with the Gilgo Beach four victims that we've seen. And like seen laid out very specifically. Very strategically, yeah. all almost in a row. Mm. And then we have, you know, dismembered bodies and, you know, different parts of those victims being put in all different places. Very different victimology. And different di- victimology. We even have a child. Uh, yeah, definitely from a similar, they're, they're, I think a lot of them were, were uh, are thought to have been, I mean, I know, I know the ones identified yeah. Yeah. were also said to be sex workers, but it's not unusual yeah. to go down the route of um, using sex workers because they're just more targetable. Because they're easier targets. Vi- easier targets. Because yeah. it's easier to get them into a car on their own. It's easier to get them into a hotel room on their own. It's yeah. easier to get them back to a house um, on their own, you know, without putting a lot up of a times people or, or a fight. Might not necessarily know what they do. No, exactly. So people will be hard to find them. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, a lot of them will be using burner phones, things yeah. like that. So again, that makes it more difficult to find connections. Yeah. I don't know. I feel that there could be two killers. Now, yeah. what I do wonder if there's some kind of connection between the killers. Mm. I I thought it was really interesting, you know, all this stuff about the sex parties and snuff movies. There was a theory at some stage, and again, this might be facts by Kate because I can't remember where I heard this and it was a long time ago. But they did talk about how were these sex parties potentially sometimes leading to snuff movies? Mm. And so therefore everyone at those parties are complicit then yeah. in... Is your microphone falling over? Yes. And <laughs> This is going well. Yes. And then, um, so they, you know, so then there's a whole lot of people then. You're talking about way yeah. more than one to, or two killers then. Exactly. Because that or could be a whole lot of people implicated into those kind of things. Potentially. So I guess we'll see as the time goes on. But for now, we hope we've given you as much information as we can on the Lisk Killer. Yeah. But on that note, guys, um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. I think we should. I think we Considering should. Considering at this stage, time. our video has stopped working. My microphone's down. And this microphone off. is falling off the table. Yes. We'll take that as a sign. So guys, if there are any more update dates, we'll definitely put them in future episodes. Um, do follow us on all of our social medias mm-hmm. and we'll see you for episode 25. Yes. And um, thanks for listening. Don't forget thanks. to follow us on all of our socials. Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and Facebook. Facebook and our email, uh, don't blame the mom at gmail.com. That's the one. Okay, See bye. You See bye. you next week. Bye.